Do you want me to? Yeah. Like do, you, do you want me to be out? Do you want me to be out? Like a drum roll? Grand entrance from the side here? Do you want bios? Because there are my own. Are you going to be on the bios? Okay. Well, then we can get started. Let's do that. Yeah. give them a space to, to read their own work aloud and give them the opportunity to look at like the performance sides of reading and writing as well, which I think is really important right now. So um, we just wanted to thank Kiosk for having us. And this space looks amazing. It's like a playground of print matter. And uh, thank you to Julie and Hugo, Christine, Christian, Upstairs Avenue, Downstairs Avenue, BYOB's up next, which you should stick around for. Uh, today we're going to have three readers. So there is Alex Balmer on the side here, Ingrid, and then Ingrid Lawson, and then Steph Lake, who's also the birthday girl today, so happy to be Right, okay, uh, I also just wanted to note that today is one of those days where there's an incredible amount of events going on right now, and one of the important events I think we should recognize is National Aboriginal Day, and how we're seated on unceded Coast Salish territory, so just recognize that. And then lastly, this is like a promo preview for our next Lit 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 event, which is going to be held this coming Sunday at Publication Studio at 8 p.m., so there'll be four other different readers. Um, and actually, Grid will be reading another new piece up there. And Bradley Isles, Jujiana, oh, I'm going to butcher your name, And um, uh, who's the last one? Yeah? Okay, it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> Ingrid, Jujiana, uh, Bradley, and Ronan, Ronan, Nanny Watson. So uh, stop by on 8 p.m. Sunday. It's also going to be the official launch of the, our little chat books which are transcriptions of all the readings that have happened before. So yeah, you can, you can buy them now. There's two left, or you can get more later on. So cheers. Alex, take it away. Thank you. Uh, uh, this is called Attracting Diamagnets. Naturally, there's something droll on the sandwich board outside. But do you even bother reading it, or is it enough to know that if you did, it would probably amuse? No, it's the aroma of roasting enticing you inside. Either that or the, the migraine you accept as part of the ritual. A waxed concrete floor, and then running through the center of the coffee house, brushed steel, gleaming and disinfected. A countertop to give you goosebumps. In the summer especially, patrons like to lean against the cool metal their flesh folding and rolling over the curved edges. One of several notices reassures customers that the environment is cleansed with, <coughs> cleansed with antiseptic agents at regular intervals. Above, on tempered glass shelves, conical flasks, beakers, petri dishes, from industrial hooks, siphons, and other contraptions for perfect groundless coffee. 
It satisfies you to see this operation run to such exacting standards. That the beans are weighed on scales, the water's temperature taken not once but twice, and the steeping monitored according to nuclear time. You could be floating in a vacuum. A comfortable chair with an elevated surface is acceptable to rest your feet on. Another for your mug, a third for your electronic devices. A good spot for people watching. From here, you finally attempt eye contact with the cashier who wears her lab coat with transfixing flair. Isn't it something how slender ink creeps around her nape, skirting the hairline, curling behind an ear pierced at the helix roof and tragus, but fortunately <coughs> not below? You wonder something you'll never have the courage to ask her in person. How many more does she have? How many, <laughs> how many shards of metal does the average citizen have tunneled through their epidermis? Look around. Examine the patrons. Confirm your suspicions. What manner of people have assembled here? Don't be shy. Yes, you could. You you, you could find. Oh, or rather, you could find. You could be attracted to any or all of them if only something were to happen for once, so that interactions spontaneously erupt. You consider pulling your laptop out, but if you do, you'll just be like the rest of them. A generation of unique individuals catered to by one electronic giant. You opt, you opt instead for a book, make a big deal about fishing it out of your bag so that everyone sees what you're reading. The first sentence is an absolute snorter. Give it another go. <laughs> now you're asking yourself, why did the employee at the bookstore smirk when I bought this? Was it the postmodern punctuation or the staunch refusal to include paragraph, let alone chapter breaks? But how the hell are you supposed to concentrate when there's two morons in the booth behind you exchanging tasting notes and quoting from cell phone dictionaries? You can't see them, and it's impossible to tell by their conversation if they're a couple or just together. But you sure as hell hope that they stop debating whether their coffee tastes of chicory or hickory soon. <laughs> Otherwise, you're really going to give them something to talk about. <laughs> Calm yourself. Those three crucial words. Big, deep breaths. In these situations, we have to quell our rising anger, don't we? I know how it is. I was there, sat where you are now, just moments earlier. Ah. And then as the migraine clears, you see through the window, the glass door, the coffee house, reflected in the countertop, a most suitable target for your untold affections. Just by looking at her, you can tell what kind of lady she is. I wish you good luck because now concentration is impossible. But it's crowding here. Maybe she'll ask for the stool you've rested your feet on. Maybe she'll see the book and ask, how's it going? Maybe an intense literary debate will ensue. Quick, remember what you've read recently. Prepare a handful of names that cover all the bases. Ugh, why? Those two in the booth, the only table outside your peripheral vision, have decided hickory, not chicory, is what they taste. Fucking isn't because hickory is a fucking tree. But whatever. And now they leave, just as the one you can't take your eyes off collects her 
drink from the shiny barista and turns, surveys the room, disappears behind you. Let me tell you what happens next. Your girl sits down, finds a section of the newspaper on the table, but not the one she wants, and so to the whole room announces in a voice you eagerly classify as sultry. <laughs> Anyone willing to trade for motoring? She's bold, that's why we like this one. Of course someone wants motoring, but he only has the funnies to offer, and she's not interested in that. A voice calls out, business pages and half the pro crossword, straight swap to sports. A gruff voice replies, anyone seen the personals? A horse croak, trade for obituaries. With it being the weekend, there's no end to the sections of newspapers suddenly entering the market. And as the exchanges grow more animated, sources are hurriedly whisked from underneath to on top of cups. For these flexi Wi-Fi networkers are born hawkers, jacked on caffeine, jabbering, quilling, tearing sections of the world's news into pages and pages into articles, executing swift trades with darting hands. Complete papers are worth a small fortune, presuming their political stance proves desirable. Headlining at the Astoria, Metal Star Galactica, doors at nine. Hey, quit flaring! A brochure. Is your god the right god for you? <laughs> Anything but education! cries a disheveled man in the dying seconds of traveling, uh, trading scramble. It's my day off! No mention is made of the front page, of course, but who wants to be faced with grisly beheadings and ever more barbaric acts of terrorism? It's enough to know we have freedom of speech and press. We don't need constant reminders of the eternal threat from those beyond our borders. Chairs rudely rape on the concrete as the traders retire. Plastic caps snap, snap as alcohol gel is applied to fingers darkened with newsprint. And you, what did you do during all of this? Did you sit there with your unfathomable tone? Or are you all for show and actually desperate to get your meats on the real estate section? Whatever you were up to, you didn't see me slink past, draw up behind the one we can't take our eyes off, close enough to smell the sweetness of her name and whisper in her ear, travel. I'll admit I'd rehearse the line. The room settles, but not for long. There you are, reading, already, <laughs> already with all characters to entertain and you've got digits to count on. When a patron, a female patron, emits a chilling scream and yells, METALLIC! METALLIC! <laughs> this makes you uneasy, to say the least. The coffee has been tampered with, and because everyone's been rushing around the joint, and because, as a rule, traders are, shall we say, unreliable, we've all become suspects. Now you're not making eyes or judgments, and you're not the only one. Which of us is not who we see? How can we ever truly know or trust our fellow man? Yes, that may be the ultimate question of that epic literary journey you're undertaking, but it's a different question when it's actually happening in a coffee house, no? The room's a white blur of lab coats, but no amount of refills and on-house baked goods is going to modify the hall now. Who else would dare take a sip? Hypothetically speaking, aren't we all potential suspects? Spooked by the things, uh, the turn things have taken, your possible soulmate stands up to leave, but of course you don't notice because you miscalculated your vantage point. But I didn't. I see her. Sensing the lack of beverage in front of me has now attained an undesirable amount of attention, 
No, I don't drink coffee. I love it. I time it, exit appropriately, and I watch. But aren't we all? And anyway, who are you in this coffee house to judge me? What would you have even said to her had the opportunity presented itself to you, you who never acts on impulses? On the street, I, on the street, I allowed her to walk several meters ahead, and we adopt a leisurely pace. I could call out to her at the intersection in reassurance, but I don't allow myself. I may dress to blend in, but my voice would expose me. The lights change and she crosses, I follow. She stops, I wait, again, once more. At the end of every block, the red hand of warning. My patience is being tested, yet I remain composed, unlike you, who by now are consumed with regret, berating yourself for watching another of life's opportunities, telling yourself you'll never see her again. Why didn't you stop her? Speak to her, you fool. As she stops to look in the window of a store, I kill time in front of a butcher shop, where great hunks of meat hang, wrapped in twine and dressed with sprigs of herb. The man himself is there, cleaver in hand, white apron smeared red. He chats to his customers, and from his right grin I know he's telling wicked jokes. On the stainless steel counter, cheap a, a, a gaping chest cavity, from which blood is channeled by machine and crews to a hidden trough below. Styrofoam awaits portions of the sacrifice. I almost hear the cleaver as it flashes me off. It was stupid to leave. 
Listen, stupid and hideous, Mindy. It's not your fault. I drove you to want to escape our delicate little life. Not stupid. Your desire is elegant, even if it is a little plan. Now, are you relaxed? I have something to tell you. It's becoming night, and the acceptance of this evening will lend what I have to say a mystical quality. But before I tell you, concentrate on the sensation of forgetting. You're forgetting this trip now, and it's okay. It's how it's meant to be. No, that's not what it was. Yes, now I'm forgetting. I'm tripping on forgetting. I was going to talk for a long time about my problems, but your hypnotism has quenched that need to spout off. But I almost forgot that you had something to tell me. I hope it's positive. Mindy. Kiki, I've invited your ex-lover. Kiki. Ricky? He's going to help us redecorate. Asshole. So listen, you mad? Kiki. Uh, he didn't understand that there were moments I even had guilt that as an artist I should be more of an asshole, you know? So, Mindy. He is not the enemy. Like, you haven't seen Ricky since you started talking very honestly about your different class statuses and the guilt issues that come along with different class positions. Kiki. When we met, he was wearing a t-shirt that said, shocked and appalled. <laughs> what did you wear? Backpack, coat, flashing around, long black trench coat with plaid lining. I think it was a Morse coat, beige plaid. It was plaid inside. It was black. Mindy. Effortless glamour lies in these dynamic silhouettes that reveal singular bodies and souls. Come, let us have another drink while we wait. Act two, in which Ricky runs into Liz on his way to Kiki and Mindy's. I'm not gonna do Ricky justice, sorry, Linton. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Hey, Liz, what's up? Liz. Oh, listening to Solange, feeling emotion. What's up with you? <laughs> Me and Kathy just watched TV for two days and ate veg. Another joke answer. Joke answers are provided when we do not have a legitimate or appropriate answer. Go out last night? I woke up in a public washroom. Is that a joke answer? No. Is that why you're drinking seltzer? I drank champagne and climbed into a fountain. I felt like I needed to become part of the architecture. A life without regrets suggests life half-lived. And I dreamt about a young boy. I wish I was prowling, because I would have chatted him up. I see him bright and early, sitting quite still, cursing and sucking cigarette smoke. It was honestly an experience. Cool. Well. I'm on the unspoken rule by, and also, that is fucking amazing. Into the alluring inequities of debauch. <laughs> well, I should be going. Gotta find some aromatic leaves, a blade of grass, to cleanse and smudge the public loo. Ricky, do you also like them young? Let's say I've sprinkled a few drops of new mown hay in my time. 
That is not, not a joke answer. So long, Liz. You really are an ancient myth. Symbolic incarnation of undying lust, you irresponsible, precocious, monstrous beast. <laughs> discusses decorating tips with Mindy and Kiki. Ricky. I'm thinking everyday living, a funereal existence, interiors for private jets, ever iconic decadence. Mindy. Ever ironic? Ricky. No, ever iconic. And it is with this sinister picture, boot polished blacks, Rocco, gold leaves, and cadaverous hues that I will transform your living space. I don't know if you notice, but you don't have a nice hand towel. <laughs> I think that we should get you a hand towel. I really think you need a fancy hand towel. It wouldn't be very expensive if you both split it. Let's start with that. Kiki. Maybe if I wanted to get you something really special. Mindy. I passed it on the bus today and was like, oh, the Versace store. Kiki, I went in. You did? Yeah, it's nice. The ashtrays are heavy, but the hand towels are the most reasonably priced. Only $70 for one hand towel. It's not that bad. Ricky. But it's the thought that counts. The thought without the follow-through that counts. Probably the same amount of care was put into it as the corporal for the Eucharist. If someone bought me a Versace hand towel, I would cherish that for my entire life. My whole life. Like, 2.5 years maybe. Mindy. It's just a thing that's lost its aura. I mean, it's fine after you wash it so many times. The aura's washed away. After you've washed your dirty hands on it. That aura went down in the drain. Kiki. Like Donatello's black eyeshadow running down the cheeks of Naomi Campbell as they call in the hairdresser from New York to give them extensions, eating spaghetti off the floor of the Milano bathroom. Thus, the bathroom will become a facsimile for Medusa's deadly gala. Mindy. You only have to look the Medusa head on if you have the jitters, Ricky. Act 4 in which the veil of Kiki's forgetting is lifted, and she suddenly recalls the idealism surrounding her trip. I came home bewildered and remembered, okay, this is why I stopped wasting my time. Now is the era of the trans individual, paying attention to you, paying attention. But doesn't this cross-pollination of intimate individuation with collective desires produce asymmetry? I don't protest. But let my position be seated. Just sex and quality time. That this shit is interesting, intoxicating, and challenging. Coming to my senses, trying not to waste time. Recursive loops in creating truth. These metaphors and anthropomorphisms. We're still living Christian lives. The baby that caters serving a mouth amuser to a baby's patrons. This is validation. We eat the sentient creatures and take shots. Or we inhibit consumption to greenery and drugs. Take things, eat them out, and make them more mean. The miser. We're pitching pennies over here. 
came up with alternative stories to avoid a singular truth, power of love, missing people. But like the animal that watches you in the shower, the sentient sea enters into any skin and constantly transforms itself. Mimic those closest to you, eat them, and learn how to be powerful. Does this profile make you uncomfortable? No wonder it's ugly. The eclipse of the apparent eye and expending energy making you feel better. And I'm supposed to decorate? I'm supposed to be swollen with the will to create, she says. Swollen for fuck's sakes. Act five. <laughs> In which Ricky, Mindy, and Kiki get into the specifics of the bathroom. Ricky. Then why don't you decorate? Decorate. Kiki. The bottled blonde writes herself into her brother's legacy, driven away from her body through augmentation and Marlboro's. Indeed. Your lair is for you, and you are for you alone. I mean, I didn't decorate before the age of 27. Mindy, it's silly. I decorate a little, but in secret. And it wasn't good, because it was in secret. Those interiors come from a distant land, from the heath where witches are kept alive, from beyond culture. Ricky. My dear ladies, decorating is about the adventure of such and such a drive. About trips, crossings, trudges, abrupt and gradual awakenings. But it is also body. So more, so more body means more decorating. Let's leave the appropriation of design to the warriors and to masculine anxiety. Let us manipulate the space, jumble it, disorientate it, change the furniture, cut it up, empty structures, function, focal point, priority, symmetry, traffic, variety, ease of use, circulation, and most crucial, planning. Better yet, let's steal the structures. Make the place over, and our self-seeking will know itself better than flesh. And the sonorous, delicious pieces, a room that will refuse nothing. Color combinations of coral, red, black, wet, smooth, and wavy. Ah, and there's your sea, your bathroom. Now, can we move on to the other rooms? So, I don't know what to read yet. So I thought I would do a people's choice kind of thing. So I've made a read piece about wrestling, which some of you have already heard me read once before. Or I can read a shorter piece called The $100 Walk. So, if you wait now, you want the $100 Walk? Well, I will unfortunately have to read it from my phone as well. Going on a 
new $100 bill today. Before I depart for my $100 walk, I empty the contents of my wallet on the table by my front door. Two bank cards, debit and credit, a library card, gallery memberships, a March bus pass, and, ex and, ex and an expired driver's license. My, and my old student, pass. The last thing to account for is a coupon to redeem one free cup of tea at David's Tea. I had a friend who was employed there in her undergrad. She's animated and amiable and perfect for retail. Sorry, it's really hard to read this off my phone. She was perfect for David's tea too, but she cares less for tea than she does about European commerce. She described the employee training program to me in one single sentence. Greet the customer with 30, within 30 seconds and make them buy tea. Her eyes widened and her words slowed when she said, make them buy tea. She's doing her master's in political science now, and I have a coupon for a free cup of tea from this place where they trained her so recently to hawk tea. But I know why. I have a coupon for a free <coughs> cup of tea. Why I have a coupon for a free cup of tea is because once I go in there to redeem a free cup of tea, I meant to sheepishly realize how cheap I will appear if I don't purchase anything. Why I have a coupon for a free cup of tea is because someone who already knew this realized it and gave it to me. I leave the contents of my wallet on the table, and I put the coupon in my jacket pocket, where whatever value it has feels relatively diminished next to my $100 bill. A few blocks from my apartment, I start craving a cigarette. Feeling around my pocket for a light, I become annoyed because I detect a familiar lump in my jean pocket. $2.25. Since I'm on a street lined with parking meters, I put a quarter in the nearest in the nearest one and see that five minutes have been added to the remaining twenty. <coughs> Seems unfair to deposit a whole forty-five minutes into a single parking meter, but this is a one hundred dollar walk, not a hundred dollar and a hundred and two dollars and twenty-five cents walk. After resolving that, I nearly forgot to smoke. Flipping open my pack. I stare into the space where all my cigarettes were before I smoked or gave them all away last night at the snack bar. A couple days ago, when I purchased this now empty pack, the woman at the store told me that tobacco prices were going up tomorrow. I misinterpreted her and replied, Belmonts are going up? Below cigarettes. I reacted with mild surprise. What? Really? Then resentment. Why? and then defeat. Ah, well, it's happened before. Perhaps she expected me to buy two packs. I bought just one, knowing that in a couple days they would cost a little more. However, this is a $100 walk, and not an $87.59 walk. I don't have cigarettes. I don't have a destination. I have a coupon for a free cup of tea. The coupon is shaped like a small paper cup in their signature turquoise, like Tiffany's blue, which is, which is turquoise, but it's also kind of blue. 
It is almost as if I already have a cup of tea in my pocket, but I don't, which is the point, I suppose. To not want and almost have leads to desire that you never had. Surprise, desire. <laughs> During America's post-war housing explosion, seafoam came standard for kitchens. According to something I read somewhere, I can't recall where. I know it was not anything like October or the new life of you. I'm almost certain it was the gentlewoman, the one with Adele on the cover. There's a link between the popularity of seafoam green cabinets, seafoam, not seafoam, green cabinets, and the sedation of radical sentiments potentially aroused by disillusionment with the Stepford condition. Whenever I bring this article up, somebody almost always mentions hospital scrubs operating in a similar way. And no one is really surprised, oh, I'm sorry, no one is really in disbelief that our subversive inclination would be so easily dissuaded by a pastel. I'm not sure if the subliminal effect transmits, transmits as, it's going to be okay, or roll over and die, <laughs> or it's going to be okay if you roll over and die. <laughs> as I approach the turquoise tea palace, I can see a turquoise sandwich board coming into lurid focus. It instructs me to keep calm and drink David's tea. I'm pretty calm because I have a $100 bill and I'm about to receive a free cup of tea. I entered through a pair of thick glass doors and was greeted 11 seconds later by a chipper female voice. is usually lower in tone and drawn out. Hello! But sustains a sweet, welcoming quality. How's it going? The last syllable of that phrase is the same. Are you looking for anything specific today or have any questions about our tea? I wanted to say, isn't it David's tea? <laughs> but I keep it to myself because I am not a funny dad. <laughs> I have to decide right now if I'm going to look at a gallery of loose leaf paraphernalia first or order my tea and flee. But it is simply impossible to think quickly. I'm looking at a lot of tea. Hi, good. I'm just going to get a tea to go, I reply. Her smile dismisses me as a potential sale. I scan the row of mate, chocolate rocket, cocoa canela, <coughs> organic, green mate, guayusa, also organic, honeybee, jumpy monkey, jungle juju, Maine squeeze, queen of tarts. I find the more saccharine names for their teas more suited to ice cream or cheap candy. Nearby, a customer is piqued by a tea named Three Wishes and asks what it's like, followed by a description of the tea, which is a delicate blend of black and green tea with three types of flower petals. I think these names are meant to rouse curiosity, but they piss me off. Less calm now, I look at the sales girl and I order a straight yerba mate because the taste kind of reminds me of smoking a cigarette. She seems pleased, almost congratulatory, and starts making it. To my left is a shelf beaming with bamboo accented tea tumblers. While she has her back turned to me, she's still talking and reminds me that it has two-thirds the caffeine content of a cup of coffee, but gets interrupted by another voice. 
If I get it in the silver tin, do you refill it at a discount? She turns around with the steeping mate and places it on the counter. She turns to the customer and in a very sympathetic tone acknowledges what a great policy that is, but tells her, but no, and she's so sorry. I'm less calm now. So I reach for the tea while she's still commiserating with the customer. Perhaps they can sense that I have a coupon. I slide the tea closer to my side of the service counter. The bottom of the cup is less than half an inch above the counter's surface when the chipper girl asks me how I want to pay. <coughs> I want to tell her, I'm on a $100 walk, not a $96.75 walk. <laughs> but I just reach into my jacket pocket. My hand emerges from the pocket with the coupon nestled inside of the folded bill. After pulling them apart, in one hand I have the $100 bill, which is coming home with me. In the other, I have the coupon, which is going to her. I slide the turquoise coupon in the shape of a cup over and put the bill back in my jacket pocket. I cannot say now, I cannot say if we are now smarter than shades of seafoam. On my way home, I'm sipping my free tea and looking at things. As I approach the meter line street, I see that the car parked in the spot where I deposited all my change has driven away, and another car is parked now. I can't remember what color the first car was, but its replacement is a variation on beige. Maybe it's fawn, like a pale brown, buff, or sand, no, more like sandy, or oatmeal, or khaki. No, that's still vague, biscuit with coffee. Not quite coffee, more cafe au lait. Definitely not camel, less exotic. I can't decide what shade of beige this car is. I've seen bottles of nail polish that seem very resolved in their nomenclature, but the color of this car evades christening in a rather disparaging way. Having spent an inordinate amount of time looking at the car, a neighbor might suspect that I want to steal it. But the notion of cruising around in such an inoffensive color feels like how warm tastes. In the meter is a red rectangle flashing in a quiet, alarming way. I arrive home. Oh, sorry. I arrive home to the contents of my wallet still sprawled on the table. My roommate is home now, on the balcony, smoking. Hey, where'd you go? She asks in a suspiciously benign tone. I start to put all my cards back into my wallet, one at a time. Just for a walk. How was work? She starts leaning in the doorframe and takes a long drag of her cigarette. She kind of looks a little noir. She's going to ask me something else. Got off early. Do you by any chance have the $100 I lent you last week? I fish the bill out of my jacket pocket, enter the balcony, and pay her. Do you mind if I have a cigarette? I've finished my tea. <laughs>